This is Work at a Beat. It is Friday, September 11th, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thank you for joining us. Mike will join us in a minute. Give me what you can As our first football Friday of the 2020 season. Didn't think we reached this point, but here we are. And we'll uh, be joined by the Hall of Famer. Ray Dininger will join us to discuss the Eagles and where he sees the league as we start this new campaign, which will get underway. Uh, for the Eagles on Sunday in Landover, Maryland against the Washington football team. A team that on paper looks like they're going to struggle this whole season, meaning Washington, and yet, you know, nothing in this rivalry is a given. Remember last year, the the, Cow- or the, the, the not the Cowboys, the, the football team got out to a 21 nothing lead in the first game and Took the Eagles a massive comeback later in the season, the win as well. So nothing a given against Washington. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk to Ray Dininger again about everything going on with the Eagles, including the Jason Peters contract alteration and all of that. Then Mike and I will give our football picks. I would assume for at least my case, it's going to be mostly pro. I think I may throw one college game in because the college schedule is just awful this week. Uh, as you may expect, a lot of it being redone on the fly. Um, but we, Mike and I will give our picks at the end of the show. And I know it's Mr. Kern's favorite segment, and I say that with all due sarcasm. So uh, that's what we have on tap today. But I should mention today, obviously, as we mentioned beginning of September 11th, as we record this uh, 19 years ago. It's hard to believe it's 19 years Um in fact, you, you put it in perspective, the kids who are in high school as seniors right now were not alive, most likely, when this happened. Um, but 19 years ago, um, the world changed with the attacks on uh, the World Trade Center. Uh, Shank, uh, the plane that crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and obviously the Pentagon. Um, you know, and everybody who was alive at that point and who could have a memory has one of where they were. I was... Actually waking up, and I flipped on KYW just as the first plane had hit, or reports of the first plane hitting had come over, and um, you know, got to a television to see the second plane hit, and everything else about that day is a blur. Um, you know, as we all kind of rushed into our newsroom uh, to, to assist um, in any way, you know, cancellations with helping the news desk and all that. Um, It is a memory, again, yeah, that's my memory. Everybody who was alive that day has a memory of where they were, um, what they were doing, and the numbness that accompanied those days afterwards. Um, And I think, you know, sometimes now with the passage of time, we, we kind of just treat it maybe not as another day in the calendar, but we we... We it's become distant a little bit, uh, but of how much the world changed, how much the hurt was deep, um, those memories tend to fade. Um, and the one thing it also did was it brought the country together in a strange way in those days afterwards when we were at our best. We were volunteering. We were not yelling at each other. We were working together. We saw what had to be done 
and how precious life was. And so as we, in this particularly ugly year, I think it's important that you take some time today and uh, close your eyes um, and, and think and, and remember those people that were lost and people who are still paying sacrifices. Yeah, there are first responders who are, are dealing with the after effects of being in the pile. And um, so this isn't a distant event, and it's still a very real event. And um, I think it is good to remember it uh, as best you can. And let's try to get back to those times when we worked together and we were able to work as a unit and we saw the best in humanity at that point as well. And uh, I hope one day we're able to get back to that. When we come back, Ray Dininger will join us. We will transition, awkwardly, admittedly, to football. But that's next. We're going to be continues right after this. Well, on Sunday, the Eagles will travel to uh, FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland to face the Washington football team uh, to begin the 2020 season. A 2020 season with a lot of unpredictability. I think everybody agrees, given what's going on with no tra- no training or not a normal training camp, no preseason games and everything. When it comes to all matters of the NFL, there is not a better person to have on. Joining us from 94 WIP. And from NBC Sports Philadelphia, uh, where we'll be seen on the postgame show. It is Ray Dininger. Ray, how are you? Hello, guys. Good to be with you. Always good to see you, Kevin. Good Thanks. to see you again, Mike. Ray, how are they doing the postgame this year? Are you just, guys just going to be, like, uh, socially distanced, or are you going to be together? Or? Oh, no, we're going to be very socially distanced. Uh, they actually uh, have changed, uh, changed the plans uh, a couple of times. Uh Originally, the idea was for it to be Michael Barkan and Barrett Brooks in the studio, sort mm-hmm. of positioned the way for people that have seen the Phillies post game, the right. way Michael and Ricky Bowe are. Uh, that was the original plan. And for me to be here in, in our apartment uh, and for Seth Joyner to be out in Arizona doing <laughs> it via Zoom. And then this week they sort of thought it over and rethought it and said, you know, if, if I'm willing to go down there and go in studio, let's do that. So, frankly, I don't have a problem doing that. I'd actually be more comfortable doing that. Uh, I think the shows would be better if, if there were more of us together. So we had a rehearsal yesterday, and that's the way it was. So it was me and Michael at opposite ends of the anchor desk. Uh, we're, we're fully six feet apart, so we're observing the law. And Barrett is over sort of at the, at the Ricky Bow table. Uh, and Seth is indeed in the desert. And, and uh, you don't get that walking off. You don't get that walking off the field. Uh, you know, with Michael yelling at 45 guys. They come yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we're going to, if we're going to have uh, a camera on the field. I mean, they're really restricting. They're really restricting the amount of people that they're going to have on the field. Sideline reporters, cheerleaders, mascots, pep bands. I don't think there's going to be any of that. I think that's my favorite two minutes. When the Eagles lose, that was always my favorite two minutes of television. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, all, all people did. Uh, everybody, everybody <laughs> loved it. They used to call it the perp. They used to call it the perp walk. You know? <laughs> that, that the guys would be coming up the tunnel and, and Michael would just be, you know, berating one after the other. Yeah. That's oh. everybody. Everybody would flip over immediately to catch that. And, I don't know if we're gonna. I don't know if we're gonna have the camera. I don't know if we're gonna have that kind of access. I know we won't have 
the interviews outside the locker room because right. there will be no interviews outside the locker room. So it's going to be it's going to be a whole different show and a whole different season. It was funny watching Barkham last night use the word suck so easily when he referred to the Phillies bullpens. You know Michael was really upset. So Oh. Oh, oh, it was uh, there was a there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of spitting anger after that game last night. Uh, I, I think I think Michael was even more upset than Ricky. Ricky. Was, I think Ricky's upset. resigned to it in a way. Like he's just so used to seeing this that he he gets it goes right by him. Yeah, people think it's going to change. No, it's not. It's not. You know, I mean, they're going to have nights where they pitch okay, or weeks where. But but basically, you're going to hold your breath every time they go to the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, you can just see, you can see it in Ricky. You can you can see it in his face. You can see it in the veins in his neck. That, I mean, he he like he wants to take the ball. You yeah, know? I mean, he wants to take the ball and go in there because you know, and his mentality is I like I at at this point I might take him even now at fifty one. Yeah, I have out right. There. You covered a lot of Phillies too in your day. Obviously, if you ever remember a bullpen like this, like. The- you no, know, this bad. No, not 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 this bad. And the funny and the and the, the funny thing is, this is this is two point You mean you started the season with one bullpen that you couldn't that you didn't think could possibly get worse. Yeah. And they they got rid of those guys and made all these trades to bring in the new guys, and it's been same old same old. I mean, last night and what you saw last night. I mean, those guys were throwing slop up there. I mean, I really this is the, this is what you gave up some of your better minor league prospects for with these. That was guys. like fan, that was like when you went to fantasy camp. It's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> it's, I mean, Tommy Hunter threw a couple pitches that would have been taken taken yard in fantasy camp. It's that so good. And, and I've, I've come to the conclusion now that Workman simply is not a closer. No, he's I mean, not. He's not, he's, and he wasn't in Boston, and I don't know why they're trying. They, he wasn't in Boston this year. I don't know why they're trying to force feed it. They got nobody else, Kev. I'd rather try Neris than Workman at this point. I I agree with you, but I think they've been down that road, too, and they didn't like that road. You're right, Kevin. The the ultimate road is the general manager's going to pay for it. I mean, the general manager's going to pay for it at some point here. Not when they're in the World Series, baby. Well, that ain't happening. (laughs) Uh, All right, right. So let's get to the Eagles. Uh, I, I, you know, we talked about a little bit as Mike was joining the call. I I don't know what to expect, and I, I I don't know. It almost feels to me though that there's been so much negative news coming out of this camp that I'm not sure I should be feeling good about this team going in. How do you feel? Um, I'm kind of with you. I'm probably a little more optimistic than that. I, I I think they have I think they have good players, and I think I do like the coach, and I really like the quarterback. Um, and that's not a bad place to start. Um. But there are a lot of um, there are a lot of there's an awful lot of uncertainty about the season, about the league, about the competition, about everything, and you know, and so this team is not immune to that. Um, I mean, I've had a, a very weird preseason, no preseason games. You talked about that, no spring camp at all, um, and this is a team that was really counting on getting a lot out of its rookie class. I mean, they drafted a whole bunch of they drafted for speed, they drafted for offensive punch, which they needed. They brought in some kids who I think can play, but right now are they ready to play? I'm not so sure. So, yeah, I, um, I, Kev, I, I don't know what to expect. I, I really don't know what to expect. I mean, my feeling is that the, that if they can keep most of the team healthy and on the field, 
that they'll once again be they'll they'll be a team that'll win. Uh, I think with the expanded playoffs, to me, I think they should go to the postseason. Uh, but am I wildly optimistic about how far they can go? I would probably say not. I, I kind of, I guess I'm kind of with where most people are right now, which is I, I do think right now on paper, the Cowboys are the best team in the division. You know, I think they had a really good offseason. I think McCarthy is going to be a better head coach um, than, uh, than Garrett was. And, um, and I think they're, I think the Cowboys are pretty good. I think the Cowboys, they might make a run at finally getting back to a Super Bowl. Um, but the Eagles are certainly, in my view, no worse than second in that division and probably good enough to get to the postseason again. Mike? Right, isn't it too, as in most years going back, it's going to come down to the two Dallas games. I mean, if somehow they can figure out a way to beat Dallas twice, which I don't know if they can, but Andy's had some good success against Garrett, you know, they could win the division. I, I agree with you and Kevin. I, I mean, I think they're a play. They can be a playoff team, but probably not as a division winner. But the season, basically, if you don't think Washington or the Giants are going to do much to change it, comes down to those two games. Probably so. Probably so. And, you know, and we've seen the, we've seen the pattern now uh, in this division. It goes Dallas Eagles, Dallas Eagles. And so the Eagles won it last year. So form would tell you that this would be Dallas's year. Um, and again, I, I do think they're good. I mean, they got a little lucky in the draft. I mean, CD Lamb fell in their lap. Never should have happened, but it did. Uh, and you put him on the same field with Zeke Elliott and uh, Amari Cooper. It's a pretty dangerous offense. Uh, so I think the Cowboys are going to be pretty good. But I think the Eagles are going to be right there. I, I think that uh, they got a little bit of a break with the schedule uh, in the sense that I think they have three pretty winnable games right out of the right out of the gate. I think that Washington, the Rams here, and then Cincinnati here gives them a real good chance, I think, to start 3-0. and and, um, and we don't know what's going to happen with the league beyond into the month of October, November, December. If, if the league starts going sideways at some point due to COVID or whatever, and they have to shorten the schedule or teams are not going to be able to play certain games, if you can get to that point and you're and you're sitting at three and zero, you're in a pretty strong position. And I think the schedule sets up in a way that the Eagles could do that. Well, and especially when you consider like the three games after them, it may not be in the exact order. Are uh, they go to San Francisco, who mm-hmm. I think a lot of people feel is the class of the NFC. You get Baltimore at home, and then you go to Pittsburgh. Correct. I'm trying to remember. Yep. I mean, I think- those are three really difficult games following those first three. You know, like, let, let me get to the news of the week here. One, I want you to comment. Uh, Jeff McLean wrote a pretty detailed article about kind of the dynamic that exists between Doug and his coaching staff, and it brought up the point that Doug was not a happy camper, according to sources, with what happened with his coaches um, at, at the end of last season where two of them, Carson Walsh and um, – the offense coordinator and uh, Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe got let go basically when Jeffrey Lurie stepped in and said you got to get rid of him. Um, I, I don't like owners meddling in on coordinators and, and all that. You know, if a head coach who's won a Super Bowl should have the right to pick his coaching staff. How do you feel like that influences the relationship between Peterson and Lurie slash Roseman going forward here? Well, there are a couple different uh, aspects to um, to how that all went down. Um, I I think it was an organizational failure. I mean, they had 
look, I, I felt like they needed to make a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, watching that team last year, part of it was the part of it was the lack of playmakers. Part of it was they didn't have anybody on the outside that could make a play. I understand that. Um, but in terms of the, uh, I thought the play calling and just the overall offensive design, I thought they needed, I thought they needed something new. I thought they needed some input, some different ideas. So the idea of bringing in another coach or two coaches uh, to sort of brainstorm uh, and not totally change the offense, but introduce some new elements is something that I would have actually suggested myself. Now, um, the, the fact that whether it was Jeff, whether it was Howie, whether it was both of them, that they brought this to Doug, uh, I don't think they were wrong in doing it. But the problem was was the way it was done. I mean, they did it backwards. I mean, Doug, what they should have done was before the coach comes out to do his end of the year big time presser to kind of finish up talking about the season, the organization should have that meeting Mm -hmm. beforehand. You know, the coach, the general manager, the owner, the VP, whomever, the president, whomever, they should have their big powwow, sit down, all decide what they're going to do, everybody on the same page, and then have the coach go out and talk to the press. Um, they didn't do that for whatever reason. I mean, Doug went out on his own and made his statement when the question came up about the coach changes on the coaching staff. A coach is going to be loyal to his coaches, uh, and so he felt like he needed to defend Welsh and, and Grove. So he said, no, we're not making any changes. Then you know, Jeffrey said, yes, you are. And then so then Doug had to come out and, and make the decision, fire him. And, and the only conclusion that people can take away from that is, wow, this is a this is one dysfunctional organization. And I don't think it is. I just think they bungled that particular situation. Uh, but the question was, okay, now how do we go about rectifying it? If we're going to, if we're going to let those guys go and bring other guys in, number one, who are they going to be? Right. And and how are you going to divide the responsibilities? Um, I don't know that they've sorted all that out yet. I mean, if you look, they've got like six new coaches on offense who have come in from all different places. Uh, and you've had no spring ball, you've had no training camp, and now come Sunday you got to get on the field. And, you know, Doug's going to call the plays, but, you know, how prepared is he going to be to, you know, what's going to be on that sheet that he's going to be working with? We don't know. I mean, but I do think it's going to be a different looking offense. I think they needed to make some change. My only question is how well and how efficiently will this new staff work together? Well, Ray, the question I guess is like, how much should Doug Peterson control there at, at this point? I mean, we don't think he controls the defense. That's a Jim Schwartz thing. Okay. If he's not having word on his coaching staff, it's and. Look, the front office hasn't exactly given them great draft classes to work with either. You know, like, you know, over the last five years. Mm-hmm. If I'm Doug Peterson, I'm going, you know, I did win you the only Super Bowl this team has. Like, I should be able to control something, shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you can certainly make that argument. Do, do you uh, risk alienating the coach is what I'm saying? Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure he wasn't happy about it. Um I think that Mike Rowe, to me, is what what I would have liked to seen them do is I would have liked to have seen them just t- tell Mike Rowe, look, go back to being wide receiver coach, because he's actually quite good at that. 
I mean, when they brought him in in 2017, um, look at the year that Jeffrey had. Look at the year that Aguilar had. Yep. Uh, if you were out of practice, he had those guys doing drills that you watch him. He said, "Oh, this guy, he's you know he he's a he's a good teacher. He's got good ideas. He runs a good practice." And he made those players better without question. I think that's what he is. I think he's a good receivers coach. I don't think he was a good coordinator. Um, and I think the Eagles' plan, really, when they were going to make the change, if, if they could have convinced him, look, we'd like to take, we'd like to keep you because we think you're a really good receiver coach, but it's a pride thing. You know, you're, you're, are you going to accept what's obviously a very clear public demotion right. from, from to down? And he said, no, I'd rather go off somewhere else and try and reinvent myself as a coordinator somewhere down the line. I get that, but I, I think if I would have tried to keep him as a receivers coach because I think that's his strength. Um, but I think the plan was to go out and get another coordinator, like one guy who was clearly the OC, right? Had the title and had the stripes, and everybody knew that he, this guy was what Frank Reich was, right? Back in 2017. Um, but the problem is, it's a, it's a tough sell when the guys you're interviewing know that the guy who's the head coach it's is going to call the still plays. want to call the plays. Yeah. If you're the offensive coordinator, you want to call the plays or at least feel like you have a chance to call the plays. And Doug, that's what he wants to do. So the guys who probably were some of the top guys that they were most interested in understood the structure of this and said, eh, not for me. So then they had a re- then they brought in all these other guys and then came out with the idea that, okay, well, we're not going to hire an offensive coordinator. I don't think that was the plan going in. But I think that's the story that they had to wind up selling. Mike? Yeah, speaking of control, Ray, I want to ask you about two things. So you can take them in whatever order you want. The whole situation with Jason Peters getting more money, moving the position, and the ongoing talk about Zach Ertz's future. Mm-hmm. So you can take them in any order you want, um, just what your feelings are on them. Well, um, the, we'll take Peters first. I, I thought that – to me, that's another one that, that should have been handled better than it was handled. Um, when, when Brooks got hurt and they made the decision to go out and bring Peters in uh, to, and play him at right guard, uh, I thought that was the right decision. It was the most obvious decision. I think it was the right one. But when you brought him in, him and his agent sit down with Howie, what they should have done right there at the table before they, again, before they ever had their press conference, was talk about this possibility. Because, I mean, we all were saying it. I mean, everybody was saying it, that, you know, okay, he's coming in to play right guard. But if something happens at left tackle, you know, if either Dillard gets hurt or it turns out that he's not up to the task, um, there's, you know, here you'll have Jason Peters and he can just go right back out to left tackle. We were all saying it. We were all saying that that was, could be part of the equation. Um, so, Talk it over when you're before you make the contract. You know, have this discussion there that look, okay, we're coming in to play right guard for this for for three million plus some incentives, but we both know there's a chance here that you might have to that Jason might have to go out and play left tackle. If that happens, let's talk about the adjustment here. Let's talk about the you know how you're going to, you're going to prorate it. You know, you per, per game per snap how much he has to go out there. Make all that. Get all that on the table and discuss it and settle it beforehand. You know, don't allow it. Don't don't just sign a contract for one thing and then try to when the other possibility presents itself. Now all of a sudden you have to have this discussion 
out in full view of the public. It could have easily been done in Howie's office, should have been done in Howie's office. So I kind of thought they both mishandled it. Um, I got to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm kind of old school. Um, I lost some respect for Jason Peters. I really did. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this team's been really good to him, uh, paid him a lot of money, He's and he's played great. Uh, but, you know, there, there were games that, that, let's face it, I mean, he tapped out of more than once over the last few years. And I don't think the team went around and said, hey, uh, you owe us a little money here. You didn't finish that game. You didn't finish this game. Um, that didn't happen. So you get the team in a bind. The team finds itself in a bind. They go to the guy and ask him not – we're not asking him to play tight end again. We're not taking him back to argue. We're just asking him to play the position he's played his whole career. You know, I, I thought for him to kind of extort the team in a way uh, was, was was very disappointing. Uh, now, I thought that this was the way it was going to play out. I mean, I never thought for a second that Matt Pryor was going to be the left tackle on Sunday. Right. After what they saw in the practice field, they were not going to do that. So it just became a matter of, of how they were going to work it out to everybody's satisfaction. And, and they did. They put some more money in his contract. They probably guaranteed a couple of incentives. And now he's going to go play. Um, but the fact that it became, it became the thing was, I think, badly handled by the front office and a little disappointing that Jason Peters took it there. As far as the Ertz thing goes, uh, I, I, it was, I was sorry to see him yesterday be, and so obvious discomfort about this thing. It's it's clear that I think this is a guy that genuinely loves the city. I think he genuinely loves this team. Uh, I think when he says that I want to be an Eagle for life, he means it. Uh, he's certainly been a tremendous player. Um, I mean, last year he played in that playoff game uh, with an injury that he probably shouldn't have even tried to play with, but he did. Um, I still feel like if, if I were them, I would do everything I could to keep him. I think he's that important. Uh, for one thing, this is a team that is heavily, heavily reliant on 12 personnel. I mean, they really – and Goddard's a good player, really good player. But this is a team where the offense works much better when you have both of those tight ends working. And to just go go Goddard and then pick up some guy to be the other tight end, well, there goes 12 formation. Because see, that other guy's not going to command the same respect or make the same plays that Hurts is going to make. So I think they need to keep him. In the what kind of money, Ray, what kind of money do you think? Because there's Kittle's money and he's younger, and then there's right. Kelsey money. Uh, you know, what do you think Zach is kind of looking for? Uh, I don't think if you, if you looked at it on the, the scale of what those players are today, um, he's not Kittle and he's not Kelsey. I mean, they're, they're, the, they're the two best for sure. Um, but I certainly think that uh, Zach is in the top five. Uh, and you cannot overstate his importance to the quarterback. The relationship the two of them have, the chemistry the two of them have, the trust level that Wentz has in Ertz um, is, is something that's really critical for this offense. So um, I, I, I always think in cases like this, with players like this, I always think that there's, there's some room within the contract that they can make this work. Uh, I don't expect him to come out of this as the number one paid tight end in football, nor do I think he's expecting that. But I think he's expecting more than what they're offering. And I, I still feel that what you're going to get is not the blockbuster contract, but an extension of the current contract is something that they can both live with. I, I don't think the idea that the clock is ticking on him in Philadelphia, I, I just don't see that. I, 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 
I think they recognize his value and his importance to the offense, and I think they're going to find a way to work it out. Ray Dinger joins us. Uh, one aspect of this that could be holding up the negotiations with Ertz is the fact that they're in salary cap hell next year. I mean, at least projected that their cap number is awful. And this is a byproduct in a lot of ways of having to patch a patch with free agents when you can't draft. And their 2017 class is among the worst, I think you would say of, of all time at this point, because, you know, Jones is gone. Douglas is gone. Dark Barnett, I don't know what you can get from him at this point because he never seems able to be counted to stay on the field. Um, right. And that's beyond going the pump free and all that. It, it is How much of a, the, a problem is this draft situation with them under Howie kind of revealing itself as a couple of these guys get older? You know, you didn't even mention Jalen Hurts, Kevin. Well, and I'm I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the Jalen Hurts pick because I felt like you needed to start addressing your offensive line at some point here too, and they never did. Um, how big a problem is this for this organization? Maybe not in 2020, but moving forward, as you now end up in this cap crunch. Uh, no, it's big, um, and you're 100 percent right that. Uh, part of the reason that they're up against it salary cap wise uh, going into next year is because they have drafted so poorly. I mean, that's, that's really, that's your lifeblood is the draft because you, if you can draft well, um, there's a sustainability to that. You can build the roster with guys under their rookie contracts. You can keep your salary cap in place and selectively go out and get, if you have one need, go out and get a free agent. I go up You can make that work. Um, but when you when you have drafts that just blow up in your face, the way you said 2017, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, you have, you know, Marcus Peters. I mean, you have, uh, uh, I mean, all of these kinds of things. I'm sorry, Marcus Smith. Right. I mean, you have all of these picks that all comes back and haunts you. It's not just one pick for one year. I mean, it haunts you down the line. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's – they've got – they're in a tough spot. They, they really are in a tough spot here. I mean, if, uh, if Sidney Jones had come in and been the player they thought he was going to be, the player they drafted him to be, then they wouldn't have had to go out and spend the money they spent for Darius Slay, right. for example. I mean, that's, that's just one example of one position. But it's multiplied and number of spots on the line uh, on both sides of the ball. And, yeah, I mean, I'm – you, you guys just mentioned Jalen Hurts. I mean, I'm, I'm still scratching my head over that one. Uh, I still don't really understand what that was all about. Um, the draft is a – the draft is a – yeah, I mean, you look back, and it's not just one bad draft now. I mean, we've had a number of them. I mean, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside last year, I mean, that's a high pick. And then and that you forces know, you to draft Rager no, this no. year, and, it, it, it yeah, it, it, like, compounds itself. It multiplies. Yeah. And, and – and Sharif Miller, well, you're, is a, you're that's always a, playing oh, catch. Up. That's a fourth rounder. Yeah, you're always playing catch up. That's what you're doing. You're always trying, like Kevin said, you're always trying to make up for the mistakes you made in the draft. And, yep. and the Hertz pick to me almost, the Hertz pick to me, and it may work out. I, you know, Jalen Hertz could develop into something they could get draft picks for, or he could end up stepping in if Wentz gets hurt or whatever down the road. Um, but they almost signaled an organizational arrogance about it. And that's what, Ray, I didn't get. Like, 
when Howie got in trouble before, I think Howie let his ego kind of get in the way. And I think we're almost starting to see that again. That's my opinion. I don't know if you share it or not. No, I think there's some of that. Um, I think there's some of that. Um, I mean, I, I do think that Howie kind of likes to be um, the smartest guy in the room, even if he's not. Uh, I mean, the you know Jordan Mulata. I mean, even though it's even though it's the seventh round pick, still. Really why is he still here? Up. Yeah, <laughs> but why well, is he still I, here four yeah. years later? I mean, I mean, here we are in year three, and you know, really, oh, that's right, you're the guy. Yeah, you're the rugby player, right? You're still here. <laughs> wow, good for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, um, there, there is, a, there is some of that, and the Hertz thing. I never thought. I mean, the, the buzz kind of was, oh, they drafted him to be this, uh, this gimmick player, this package player, this, you know, four or five snaps a game in certain situations, red zone, and I never believed that. I mean, you don't, nobody should make that kind of a player a second round pick. Um, I think he's talented. Um, I, I think he's got a long way to go um, as a passer. Uh, I mean, I saw him play both stops in college, uh, and he can sure run. Uh, and he's and he's tough. He's competitive. There's a lot I like about him. He's smart. Obviously, learned both systems with no problem. Um, I just don't think he's a great thrower of the football, uh, I, and I just don't know that he has the repetitive accuracy that's required to be a frontline NFL quarterback yet as an athlete. Yeah. Uh, but it's, the game still comes down to being able to put the ball in tight windows. And I, I don't think that he's there yet on a consistent basis. Right. Maybe, How much of that? Maybe he can develop into that, but I just don't think if, if it came down to him having to play like now, mm-hmm. especially with no preseason, um, I just don't know that he'd be able to get in there and get the job done. Like, right. How much of that goes to, they won a Super Bowl with a backup obviously, and Wentz does get hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to label him as injury-prone because I don't know if that's, you know, what Clowney did. I don't know if that can – but I'm just saying. And they, as they've said many times, they view the backup quarterback as, like, being really important because they won a Super Bowl like that. I'm just not sure Jalen Hurts is that guy. You know, maybe I'm wrong. But I, I, how much do you think both of those factors went into them taking him where they took him? You, you just said it. I mean, that was it. I, I think that uh, they drafted him with the idea that they need to have behind Wentz uh, a really viable, legit backup quarterback that if something happens to if something happens to Wentz, that this guy can come in and win you that game and maybe the next game and maybe the next game. Uh, because nobody in the organization is going to say this, but they all have to be thinking it at this point that, you know, I don't know if this guy can make it through 16 games. Uh, he certainly hasn't demonstrated it so far. Uh, last year he did, but then, you know, he, go, he goes down first quarter of the playoffs. So the idea of having a truly competitive backup quarterback is important to them. And also if we're looking, and I think it's probably coming not too far down the road, an 18-game regular season, then it becomes even more critical to have a backup quarterback that can play. Get, you know, it's going to be really hard. It's hard to get quarterbacks through 16 games, much less trying to get them through 18 games. So that guy who's the backup quarterback, it better be a guy that can come in and win a couple games. For and him. what happened last year in the playoffs is they didn't have one. Yes, yes. I mean, they, they had McNown, uh, and he came in, and look, God bless him. I mean, he yeah, came in, and he, absolutely. And he, play, and he played his butt off. You know, mm-hmm. He played the second half with a torn, with a torn hamstring. Uh, yeah. I mean, he gave you everything he got, uh, but – 
He couldn't fit. He couldn't finish. You know, they moved the ball with him. You realize they did when he was in there, they didn't have a single three and out. Uh, I mean, he moved the ball, but he just, he just couldn't finish a drive. So they needed to get better at that. Um, I think Hertz can play in the NFL. I just don't know if he's ready to play now. And, uh, I think they've. I think they view him as, you know, the comparison that you hear them kind of saying is, oh, he's got some Russell Wilson qualities about him. Well, maybe. Whoa. As a, maybe as a runner he does, but right yeah. now he's nowhere near the thrower that Russell Wilson is. Well, and that's the reason why he ended up leaving Alabama was Tua was the better thrower. Tua could fit in the tighter windows than Hurts yep. could, and that's why he ended up. You know, you look at that national championship game against Georgia. That's why the, the switch was made. Uh, in, a, yeah, he, in a lot yeah, of ways. He, um, I will give him this. Um, he improved. He improved a lot uh, between Alabama and Oklahoma throwing right. the ball. I mean, when I saw him at Alabama, he um, he looked he he didn't even really look like a quarterback to me. Right. I mean, he looked he looked he looked like more of a runner than a quarterback. I'm good at it, but I I didn't, I looked at him and I didn't see him. I couldn't project him to the NFL based on what I saw at at Alabama. Uh, at Oklahoma, you could make the case. I thought he made a lot of progress. Uh, I think the system fit him a little bit better. Uh, having land to throw to helped a lot. But um, I, I think that improvement from one year to the next as a quarterback, to me, was encouraging because it suggests to me that he worked at it and he made progress. But what he he's, did- going, he's, going to have to, he's going to have to keep improving to get to be at a level where we're even talking about Russell Wilson. Right. What he did in that 2018 SEC title game was good to me. Was was one of the great moments. You know, a guy who lost his job and he had been like 25 and one as a starter or whatever the heck he was, 25 to, and then won that game for him to get him in the title game. And then Clemson blew him out. But that to me just showed a lot about what I, I think Jalen Hurts has a lot in him. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a guy, and I'm just not sure, like you said, Ray, how much that translates to, yeah, I don't want to hear about Russell Wilson. You know, please let me, you know. Uh, but where do you see, real quick, right, where do you see this team's strength right now? Um, it, it is the quarterback. I think he's very good. I, I really do. It's uh, it's amazing. I, I don't know the people in the city. They like him, but I don't know if they really fully appreciate how good he is. He's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so – you got a guy who absolutely has the stuff to win for you, and that's that's important. Um, I I think I think the secondary, which has been not very good for a number of years, uh, has a chance to be really good this year. Uh, Slay is Slay is a, is a very good player. Uh, he gives them a kind of a lockdown corner that they haven't had for a long time. Schwartz has never had one here. Um, Nickel Roby Coleman was a signing nobody's even talking about. He's really but, good uh, as a uh, as a as an extra guy, yeah. Back yeah, there. I thought. I mean, nobody's mentioned him, but I mean, he really helped solidify that secondary because they're going to play. They're going to play nickel. They're going to play slot defender a lot. Cause that's that's Schwartz's game. Uh, and you finally have a guy that that's what he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like you're going to have to find some guy who's a safety or a corner and try and teach him to play the slot defender. That's what this guy is. That's what he does. Uh, and so he comes in, and you got that locked down now. And you got LeBlanc to back him up in case anything happens. But you've got that covered. You got Slay on the outside, who can now cover the other team's best receiver. Uh, McLeod is back, um, which which will help them. Um, and I, you know, a lot depends on Maddox. I mean, I, I really liked him as a rookie. I thought last year he took a step back, um, but I think he's got 
a lot of talent. If he can, if he can kind of grow into that other spot on the outside, which I think he can, um, then I think the secondary has a chance to actually be pretty good. And we couldn't have said that in the last couple of years. Biggest weakness? Linebacker? Well, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you got, I mean, you don't have a linebacker on the roster, in my view. Uh, I mean, you got a couple of guys that are basically just special teams guys. Uh, um, so, but you know, anytime you mention it to the defensive coordinator, he kind of like looks at you like, yeah, so what? I mean, I, I mean, he really, he, I've never seen a coach who cares so little about, about one whole unit on his team. I mean, he really couldn't give a rip about his linebackers. Uh, and the roster certainly reflects that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to play around it. I mean, if, if the secondary is as good as they think it's going to be, um, and they do have some good personnel up front, they'll live with the linebackers. Uh, I really wish that they had – I'm still not sure where they are at wide receiver. Uh, I still worry about that. I don't know when Jeffries is coming back. Um, Deshaun, I mean, you know, the one thing you know about Deshaun is he's not going to play 16 games. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're going to get 12 out of them. Uh, you hope you get that many out of them. Um, but, but the kids who I think have some talent, I, I'll tell you, I really like Hightower. Uh, he was sort of one of my sleeper guys this year. I saw him play at Boise. I think he's really good. Um, Rager, to be honest, I was a little ambivalent about him. Especially uh, when you had, consider who he's, he's had a good camp. I'll, right. I'll grant him that. But I think Hightower could be a real sleeper coming out of this. But the fact is, for whatever talent they have, I just don't think they're ready right now to take on the kind of workload the, that this team needs. So, yeah, I think you're going to go into this year with uh, offensively in a passing game a lot like you finished last year where it's going to, a lot of the passing game is going to go through the two tight ends. Mike. Ray, how, how much should we be concerned about the state of their offensive line given the fact that they're already down two starters they're playing a 38-year-old future Hall of Famer, you know, who we hope he played 90% of the plays last year, so I don't know. Lane Johnson's been hurt. I mean, are you concerned? Because if a couple more guys go down, I would imagine it ain't going to be too pretty for the quarterback. Um, listen, Mike, all that has happened is one more guy to go down. I mean, okay. You don't, you, don't need, you don't need to lose two or three more. I mean, right now, if you lose one more, um, you're in trouble. Because they have um, – there are some questions among the guys you have right now. Uh, and beyond that, you, you have no depth, which to me is uh, is a real, real worry. Uh, Lane Johnson has not practiced for weeks, uh, and they've said that they expect him to play on Friday, on Sunday. But I mean, who knows? I guess he probably will. But how ready is he to play? He certainly hasn't had a very good preseason. He hasn't had um, enough work, in my view, to get himself really ready. Um, you've got. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Pryor will play right guard, but what happens if he gets hurt or if Johnson can't play, Pryor goes to right tackle, and then you're going to have to – Nate Herbig is going to become the guard. Um, Sayamalu, I thought, actually made strides last year. I thought Sayamalu played – looked like – for the first time, he looked like a guard to me. It looked like he finally kind of got it. Um, I'm not going to say he's a pro bowler, but I, he, he's moving in the right direction. Serviceable. And then, and then Peters, you know, Peters is, you know, he's not what he was five years ago, for sure. Uh, but he played okay when he played last year. But if they get any injuries here, um, then you're really in trouble because because you have what you got behind him is you got, you know, Driscoll, the rookie, is a rookie. Um, Herbig is a guy who's an unsigned free agent, undrafted free agent who's been here for a couple of years but has never really played. Uh, 
And you've got Jordan Maialata, you know, the, you know, who is still here, but doesn't seem to have made a whole lot of progress. So if the offensive line is probably serviceable for what it is, for what it is right now, but if anything happens, if they lose another player on the offensive line, then I think you've got real, real problems. When you look at the league overall, obviously, if you watch Kansas City last night, they're playing a different game right now. It looks like, you know, with Mahomes and Kelsey and you get the running back at LSU who was really effective last night. I don't yep. know if that speaks to what the Texans are more than what, you know, the, the Chiefs are, but in the in the AFC, are they the clear favorites or is Baltimore good enough to beat them if it meets up down the road? Um, I think they could be, yeah. Um, right now I'd have to make the Chiefs the favorite, and they certainly didn't show. Based on what they showed you last night, you would still have to say that. Um, boy, it's it's so funny watching them last night. When, when they had the draft and, uh, and Andy used the first pick on the kid from LSU, First thing that popped into my mind was Brian Westbrook. Yeah. I mean, he's he is he is so Westbrook in every in every imaginable way. Uh, I mean, that's exactly what Andy was going for right there, uh, and and he's a perfect fit for that offense. Um, they're dynamic. I mean, they're 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 playing at a whole different level now. You watch. There are times you watch them play, and it's almost like you're watching a game on Madden. I mean, they can they can he could really, be he could be rookie of the year. What's that? He could be rookie of the year. I mean, he if he and doesn't get hurt, he's going to put up some numbers on that team. Yeah, easily. I, I think people are talking rookie of the year. There, you know, a lot of people are going for the obvious. They're going for Burrow, uh, but I mean, he's going to be quarter, playing a tough position in a tough city on a not very good team. I think if right now, if I had a handicap of rookie of the year, I might I might pick this kid. I really would. I think he's got a better chance than Burrow does. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say I'd make the Chiefs the favorite, although I think Baltimore's got something to prove this year. You know, I, I, last year was a bitter, bitter season for them. I go 14-2, and two, and then they get bushwhacked in the playoffs. Um, and I, I, I saw an interview with Jackson in the offseason, and he's not over it yet. I mean, he, right. uh, he, you know, he said that, you know, we took it for granted. Uh, we thought it was going to be easy. Uh, we kind of shut it down at the end of the regular season, and we couldn't get it back together. I mean, all that stuff, I think, is true. Uh, and they still have the core of it was a really good team, and now they have the motivation of knowing what they blew last year. And I think that's going to drive them. To me, they, they look to me right now to be a lot like what the Denver Bronco team was under Shanahan when they had Elway and Terrell Davis. Well, if you remember – They lost they to Jacksonville. Year, right. Where they, just, where they just smoked everybody – uh, and first round of the playoffs, they got Jacksonville. It was a nine and seven team coming into Mile High, and everybody thought this is going to be a blowout. And uh, you know the Broncos had had rested everybody for a couple weeks. They had a bye week, and they were just they came out flat. Uh, Jacksonville beat them, uh, and they just and I know this because Vaughn Hebron was on that team, and I did the Eagles post game with Vaughn for a number of years, and he never stopped talking about that yeah. about how that how that drove that Bronco team. That whole off season, then of course they came back and won not just the next Super Bowl, back the next to back. Two Super Bowls. So I, I kind of think that that Baltimore has that same kind of chip on their shoulder right now. And uh, while I will make the Chiefs the favorite on paper, would not surprise me if Baltimore winds up winning. Is there anybody else in the AFC that could challenge either one of them? Obviously, it's funny you say this and not think New England's going to be around, but it, it's kind of hard to imagine the Patriots are going to be close to those two. 
It is. Uh, yeah, it is. Cause I, I don't think they have, I, I don't think they have the firepower mm-hmm. to play with those teams. I don't think they have the, the, I don't think I have the horses to score with those teams. Um, the, the team that I think is a little bit of a sleeper uh, is I think Indy, I think Indianapolis. Um, I've always liked Philip Rivers. I think he's a better player than people give him credit for. Uh, he's certainly been overshadowed by the rest of his draft class, but I think he's a good player. Uh, I, I think he needed a fresh start, uh, and he's got one. I I think the world of Frank Reich. I think Frank Reich is really a good guy and a very good coach. Um, and from what the little bit I saw of uh, and, and and I've heard talking to some folks who have been traveling around, uh, apparently that. Uh, uh, Rivers and T.Y. Hilton have really hit it off, which could be a pretty dynamic combination there. Um, I think that, I mean, I think people are kind of sleeping on the Colts, and I think people have kind of really written Philip Rivers off. Wouldn't surprise me that the, that the marriage of Frank Reich and Philip Rivers could uh, could really really work for the Indy Colts. Who goes? Who go, uh, Who do you th- pick in the NFC right now? I would probably say. Um, I think San Francisco probably has the best team, uh, but the history of teams that lose in the Super Bowl not the good. next year not is good. not good, and and it, and it can't just be a coincidence. It happens all the time that the Super Bowl loser really has trouble the next year. Carolina, I, Atlanta, I, the Rams, just in the last five years. Yeah, I can really understand it too. I, I mean, it's if you work your way and everything you have to do to get yourself to that point, and you lose. Uh, boy, it's hard to come back. It's hard to it's hard to come back from that. Uh, and I think I think San Francisco could suffer from that a little bit. Um, I I'm not so sure that Jimmy Garoppolo is all that. Uh, so I have some questions about them. Their defense is very good, though. They have a really good defense. But I'm I'm kind of leaning towards the Saints. You know, I, I think that there's a real um, there's a real drive there that they know that they only have so much more time with this quarterback. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I think that's probably why Malcolm Jenkins made the decision that he made was to go there. He wanted, he, he knows that he's sort of coming to the end of his career. Uh, and he looked at the Eagles situation. He looked at the Saints situation. I think he made a calculated decision of, you know, okay, which team gives me the better chance to win one more Super Bowl? And I think he looked at the Saints roster and said, yeah, this is it. And, uh, I think that's sort of the mentality of that organization. I like the coach an awful lot. I think Peyton's a really good coach. Um, and um, right now, I would probably say, if you're asking me right now to pick the Super Bowl, I would probably say Saints-Ravens. Saints-Ravens? Okay. Uh, I've gone on record. I think it's Seattle. I, I think Russell Wilson carries them this year. DK Metcalf, I think, is going to have a huge season. And the AFC, i, I got to go with the Chiefs. I mean, it, they're just... They're too solid. I mean, and, and their defense improved last year. I think people don't look at it, but their defense, I thought, got better as the year went along. Mike, did, did you oh, have a Super Bowl? Yeah. Spagnuolo, Spagnuolo did a really good job. He really uh, – he sort of tore the whole defense up and rebuilt it on the fly, which is not easy to do. Right. Uh, but they had, a, but they had a, a real bad loss kind of midseason where they got shredded. Uh, and, and, and Spags just went in and just – and tore the whole thing up and rebuilt it. And, man, second half of the year – I think the last seven weeks of the season through the postseason, they allowed the fewest points in the league. I mean, they went from being not very good to being number one. I, I think you're right about that, Kevin. I think everybody, when you look at the Chiefs, you think offense and you think about putting up a lot of points. And I don't think people realize how good their defense is, but it's, it's solid right now. And Mike? 
Do you have a pick? You know, I hate doing this, Kevin. You love doing this. I do. And, and No, you do. You, I do. you love making predictions. Uh, look, it's hard to go against the Chiefs at this particular – but I like what Ray said about the Ravens. The chances of them meeting in the AFC title game probably – because it never happens like we wanted. But the one and two seeds have gotten there a lot. I think it would be a great title game in the AFC if you had those two. I look for San Francisco to take a step back. I've been on the Saints the last three years and been disappointed like they have. So I'll go I'll go with the Saints, um, you know, against – you know, I'm big on Tampa too. I am. I mean, I think that this – you know, and they're in the same division, which makes that kind of hard. But, um, yeah, I, I, I could see the Saints against one of those two teams. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, and, and but Tampa, it's a pandemic world we live sure. in. So, and Tampa is the wild card, I think, in all this. I think Tampa, if if Brady can get that group together, he's got wide receiver targets. He obviously has Gronk back. Well, they play this week, so yeah. you know we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how they mesh uh, real quick. Uh, here, I, think, is, go ahead. I think I think mean, I know there's a tremendous amount of conversation about Brady and how much does he have left at 43. It's a fair question to ask. But um, the Buccaneers are they're they've got better players than people realize. Yes. Uh, and uh, I mean, you know, Jameis threw 30 interceptions last year uh, and they, they gave up 47 sacks because he held the ball too much. Brady is not doing either of those. OK, he's not taking 47 sacks and he's not going to throw 30. picks. And their defense so wasn't bad. Right? I mean, their defense wasn't bad. No, but I mean, they kept. Yeah, yeah but the. Yeah, but yeah, the offense kept giving the ball back to the other right. team. Uh, right. But Brady's not going to do those things. I see a lot of people are talking about uh, this is you know Brady's going to go down like Johnny U and 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 Namath, you know, playing for a bad team and it's going to go nowhere. I think that Brady's I think Brady's second chapter of his career is going to be more like Montana's. I think he's going to like Montana went to Kansas City and kept winning and got yeah. them to a championship game. Didn't get them to a Super Bowl, but he got them to a conference championship game. And Joe played very well in Kansas City. I think it's going to be the same thing with Brady. I think Brady's going to go to Tampa Bay and have success. The great Ray Didinger, who will be on with Glenn Mack now on Saturday, and then he's on television twice, I assume, on Sunday, between pregame and postgame, somewhere on the NBC Sports Family Networks, because I think the Phillies have a doubleheader that day. So I think you're on the, uh, the Plus channel. So Does that mean, Ray, you're not going to be on radio Sunday because of the pregame? Um, yes, yes. I think, Aww. I think I might do, I think I might do something on the pregame. I think I might, but it'll probably be by telephone, but Glenn okay. and I will, uh, we'll be doing our usual Saturday 10 to one. And I can tell you, um, I don't know how folks that follow the show know that we're doing these, what they call a uh, tell us your story, which is a long form interview. Um, it's Franco Harris this week, right? Yeah. And we have Franco this week. Uh, we take, we take it on Wednesday. Yep. Wow, that's yep. pretty cool. So, uh, it was it was very cool. He was he was really good talking about growing up in Mount Holly and talking about those early years with the Steelers and talking about how Joe Paterno, <laughs> how Joe recruited him for Penn State because he came in and and you know and really connected with Franco's mother, who of course was born in Italy. Um, it's it was really it was really good. It was great to reconnect with Franco and. Uh, mm-hmm. God, I was looking it up. Franco's 70 years old this year. Wow. <laughs> and he where does the time go? Joe benched him in a cotton bowl. I believe that Penn State wound up winning 30-6. to six. I think yep. they beat the crap out of Texas or something, but Franco got benched 
for doing something. I, I you know, I was 12 years old, so I don't. Um, but they just had a show on Ray. Uh, somebody did a great job, or it probably was a few years old on the Immaculate Reception. Yeah, and just looking at it from you know 150 different angles. And the point they were making was if the ball had really bounced off Franco, which it couldn't have at that time. Frenchy Fuqua, you mean? It wouldn't have went backwards like you – I mean bounced off of Fuqua, right? It Fuqua, wouldn't have bounced right. back like that. That It had to hit Correct. Tatum. So I don't Correct. know. But I was rooting for Pittsburgh, so I was happy. Yeah, well, that's um, – it's, it's funny because, of course, we asked the question. Uh, and Franco has all these years never said – whether it was legal or not. Franco, will, he's always says, you know, no, 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 that's my lips are sealed. Um, the question was never uh, really about who touched the ball down the field. The question it was, about was, it. It was about if he caught the ball. Did the ball, did the ball touch the ground before right. Franco caught it? And that's the thing nobody knows. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, you see the, I mean, the law of physics tells you the way that ball flew back. Right. It wasn't coming off a of Frenchie. It was coming off Tatum to drive it back up the field that way. Right. So that was never an issue. Clearly, the ball came off Jack Tatum. But the, the, the thing that nobody knows to this day, and you look at it from every angle, and believe me, I've seen every <laughs> You cannot tell if the nose of that ball touched the turf. It, uh, you really don't know. But right. the that- thing is that, that, a, that a man Franco's size was, you know, 230-pound man running full speed could reach down, make that catch, right. and never break stride. That's the amazing part. Ray, was that the play that got the rule changed? That you and the other thing I want to ask you: Can you imagine if there had been review then? Like oh, I how, know. how how would they? But is that the play that got the rule changed and it didn't have to? It didn't matter who it touched that you could catch it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And uh, yeah, can you imagine replay? Can you oh. imagine them coming out and over with with all the fans, with the whole city of Pittsburgh already on the field celebrating? The referee coming to the midfield and announcing it. No, the play is incomplete. On further review, sorry. <laughs> I don't think that would have happened. Well, what was the old John Madden story that they, they walked out, the head referee walked over and said, how many right. officials can you give me? And he said six. He goes, well, six for Pittsburgh, like that. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Ray, Ray Didinger joining us. Ray, I appreciate it. Have a great season and uh, stay safe and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great seeing you guys. Nice Take seeing care. you always, guys. Always a pleasure, Ray. Nice seeing you, Ray. Same here, Michael. Same here. Ray Danger joining us. We'll be back on Work of the Beat right after this. Our thanks to Ray Dittinger for joining us. And, Mike, you just said it. He's, um, he's the best. He's the best. Yeah. And I worked with a lot of really good people. I was lucky, you know, to fill Jazzers of the world. I could go on. I'm going to leave people out. Um, and, and people at the inquire that I was, that I was colleagues with to, uh, you know, Bill Lyon. I mean, they, they all were great, but Ray was, Ray was Ray, man. I mean, I, I don't know any other way to put it. And, you know, people now think of him as just a football guy because he's been that for, he did it all, man. I mean, he, you know, he oh, was yeah. a big baseball guy back in the day. I don't think he was too into hockey. I'm sure he did some hockey stuff and some, but he, but Ray's baseball stuff was tremendous. I think he was the one that gave Gary Maddox the Secretary of defense, defense nickname. Right. Um, yeah, right. And I got to, you know, when I first started as a clerk at the Daily News, I've said this before many times, I was the guy who had to take Ray's copy um, because Ray was notoriously slow. And he would go in the back room and type a page into a typewriter. 
mm-hmm. which of course nobody knows what that is anymore. I would get a page at three in the morning, two thirty in the morning, whatever it was, go to the computer, put it into the computer, then go back and get another page, you know, and then have him staring over my shoulder as I put the last page in or whatever. He, he, he's, you know, if every one of us could be half as good as Ray, we'd all be great. I agree. And he's one of the most humble people that you will ever deal with. I mean, he and is. what is he, Kevin, above? And, and we live in this age of sound bites mm-hmm. and quick takes, and he's the voice of reason. He is. And he's never allowed himself to be that, that uh, which he had the luxury of doing because mm-hmm. he had the luxury of, you know, nobody was forcing him, pigeonholing him into a role. Um, but that's why I love listening to him and Glenn is that you know what you're going to get. Um, and it's always, you know, just good talk, good knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's refreshing in this world that we live in. Yep, absolutely. Um, you ready to make picks? Yeah, before we get to, to this nonsense, <laughs> I think we would be remiss if we just didn't say, uh, it is nine eleven. I did that on the. Pr- I did that before uh, Ray came on. I had actually. Okay. Ahead, um Your thoughts? No, on- I'm just saying it's. You know, it, it's the sad fact in all this is we tend to forget. We say we're never going to forget, and we never will forget. But as as you get, and next year will be the twentieth anniversary, and I'm sure it'll be a lot. And like the, the shows today, like the History Channel and a couple mm-hmm. other channels, have all nine eleven stuff, and you know you get to relive it a little bit. Not that you want to relive that. But it's just, you know, in Pearl Harbor, I mean, the two biggest dates of this century, well, actually two centuries, was Pearl Harbor to one generation and, you know, Kennedy assassination to another and 9-11 to, you know, our generation or your generation, I guess more. Um, But, yeah, it will fade at some point and maybe we'll have another, God forbid, moment like that down the road that will, yeah, but – it, it was horrific. I mean, and I think even 19 years later, we forget how horrific it was. Well, and the well, thing, and the thing I mentioned on on the pre, on, on the intro was those moments afterwards when the country was unified and everybody was together, and it was a, yep. it was such a, it was an awful feeling because you were dealing with the terror, and then obviously there was the anthrax scare after it and all that. But it was also really good to see everybody pulling together on the same rope, and I hope one day we're able to get back to that. Well, yeah, because that's what happens when somebody attacks you. I think when when you are attacked, especially on your soil, it changes your mindset. But some of the things I remember from that, and I, and when it first happened, none of us knew what was happening. I mean, we're listening, we're trying to digest it. We. But I remember about a week later, Kevin, I don't know if it was a week later, but I was traveling up to New York, up to North Jersey for something. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what it was and looking over and not seeing the towers. Yeah. And you still kind of see smoke, you know, whatever. And then I remember when the Mets played the Yankees that year in the World Series. Wasn't the Mets Yankees that year? No. Was it the World Series or was it just a regular season game? Well, it was actually the Mets and Braves played the first game back in New York. But um, I remember, didn't the Mets play the Yankees no, at some point? No, not not the rest of that year. Okay, well, then I'm, I'm missing it. But I think there was a Yankees game. There well, the was Yankees played the Diamondbacks. The Yankees played the, the Diamondbacks in the World Series that year. and that was Right, but it was before then. I think it was the first day baseball came back. Right. Um, and in New York, I think maybe the Yankees, because I remember Larry Boa talking about it. I think when he was on with us, maybe he was with the Yankees then. I'm not sure. No, he was but actually a Phillies manager at that point. 
Okay. Well, then I'll, I'm, I'm my details, but I remember the Yankee. You know, a lot of people don't like New York. I mean, let's face it. We live in Philly. We're, we are, New York's like that big brother we came. Right. But watching that game and the emotion, yeah. of seeing those people in Yankee Stadium, you know, a week or two, whatever it was after it had happened. And I will say this, and I'm not saying if Philadelphia couldn't have rebounded from that or L.A. or Chicago. New York has a certain quality about it mm-hmm. that they were like, after that happened, it was like, screw you. We are not going to let you do this to us. We're going to build back. We're going to show you our resiliency. And I think New York does it almost unlike any other place can. Um, I mean, London did that at times in its history. You know, I know, but, but in that, and to watch it and, you know, look, we don't like New York, but in that moment, you just, you know, your heart went out to them. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, obviously we remember everybody who was lost. You know, people are still, as I mentioned before, Mike, um, people are still being lost because of the ailments that a lot sure. of first responders have, have gone through um, because of the, the conditions at, at Ground Zero and, yeah. and the cleanup and everything. So it, well, I remember a lot of Penn, PK, because I obviously covered Penn. Right. Uh, a lot of people from Penn's Wharton School died. What died because they were working in that. There, there was one company way up in one of the towers, uh, and and Penn had a lot of alums that were working in that particular um, financial uh, company. Uh, I don't remember the name of the company, but and, and so Can, it, Canner it hit Fitzgerald, like West Philly right. hard. Canner Fitzgerald um, was right. the name of the company, uh, and there was uh, you know I'll bring up one name obviously from around here, Travis Mannion, um, who ended up dying in. Uh, Af- Afghanistan after that as part of the war after it. So it, the, the, the the echo effect that went on, not just at Ground Zero and, and the Pentagon and, and Shanksville, but then obviously it started the wars that you know yeah. continued on and, and the, the damage literally touched almost every American life. I'll never forget, Kevin, one person. I'm not going to say who told me this because you know him. But anyway... After it happened, and, and, you know, we're trying to figure out what are we going to do here as a country? You know, how are we? And the person said, well, you know, God, we, we shouldn't be afraid of, you know, these guys who, you know, herd goats up in the hills or however he phrased it. And I thought, well, these people that herd goats up in the hills just blew up four things. You know, the, these poor, he was basically making it sound like, yeah. why should we? Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. They hijacked four planes. Two of them took down buildings. One of them almost took down part of the Pentagon and the other one, we don't know what it would have done if, you know, the people didn't take the plane over and crash it. Yeah. So, but I think that's the attitude of America is like, we're America. Well, okay. And then now we've been fighting over there for 20 years. You know, what we, have we accomplished? Uh, I, I don't know if, if these people are so dumb and, and, and aren't half of what we are. I don't know. It's just something to think about. And so, there is no good transition, uh, but let's. No. But, but we have to get back to re- we have to get back to life. Yep. Slowly but surely, as best we can. And part of life. And I give I give the NFL credit. Before we get into this, I don't know what the colleges are going to be, but it, it, they said they were going to start. And they did. They started. They had fifteen thousand people in the stands. You know, mostly I think being socially distant and wearing masks. And they pulled it off. Yeah, they did. You know, it was it was an interesting thing to watch. 
Uh, Andy Andy has to get wiper blades for the for the visor. Uh, <laughs> Do you see what that visor costs? How much? Thousand dollars. Apparently, it's a Louis Vuitton or something. It's some like designer. He could have gone, gone to a salad bar uh, and get the sneeze guard and put it on his hat at that point. I mean, you know, Jesus. Yeah, but what do you expect, Andy? Andy can afford the thousand. I'm, I'm sure the Chiefs. Afford uh, I was it, just going to say it's the Chiefs. I think that are affording. Did you pick any college games? No, I, I don't. The, the only two, like I said to you, I, and look, I, I have no clue. Clemson, Wake Forest is not very good this year. They're not supposed no. to be. They lost everything. And Clemson's given 34 on the road, which is a lot. Of, I don't know if the road matters, you know, in the, in the sense that, yes, you're going to be yeah. getting on a bus. I have something to say before we start all the NFL stuff, but you're getting on a bus. Or I, I guess Clemson would get on a bus to go. No, nah, they might fly. I don't know. Probably about three hours away, whatever. Um, and I just think that Clemson's going to beat them. Probably pretty good. But, yeah, I did too. Who knows? Uh, I think they're motivated because of what happened, obviously, last year in the title game. And the other one was Notre Dame giving 20 at home to Duke. I don't know much about Duke. I don't think they're supposed to. And sometimes the Notre Dame lines are inflated. Yeah. You know you know that, and I know that. Uh-huh. But I, it's just hard for me to see that being a – a close game, and I look, they could lose, win by 17 and you lose. But th- they would be the only two off the top of my head. It's going to take me a while to get my head around college football. There are five games involving top 25 teams this week, okay? Who are the others? Well, no, I, I'm, I'm giving you. Clem- well, Clemson the, and Notre the, Dame are two of them. Clemson and Notre Dame are two of them. North Carolina is a 23-point favorite over Syracuse. And I, I know nothing about that. Right. Um, oh. I think Mac Brown's doing a good – I mean, Syracuse was good two years ago and has kind of fallen. I, I don't know. Oklahoma is a 44-and-a-half point favorite over Missouri State. Yeah, you can Tex- lay 44-and-a-half. Texas is a 43-point favorite over UTEP. Yeah. The closest I, one is Iowa State is an 11-and-a-half point favorite over Louisiana. And I think actually – now, again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I, I was trying. I think Iowa State's actually supposed to be decent this year. I think 23rd, I them, yeah. Well, obviously, they're in the top 25. So, Louis, who, who are they playing? They're playing Louisiana? Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. So, Louisiana must be fairly good. Yeah. If, if they're only getting 11, I don't know what that's telling me. I, you know, I have no idea. But I'll throw this into you. I was listening to Sal Powell uh, today on the radio. And uh, he made a really interesting point that I don't know how it factors in all this. But he was talking about the NFL now, but I think it could apply to college also. Road teams have not been on the road. They've been in a bubble, so to speak. Right. I mean, I know the Eagle players go home, but they're in a bubble. Now you're asking them to go to a hotel room, get on a plane or a train in the Eagles case, and go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And he said... There's protocols, like he says he has a 26-page protocol on what he has to do going to cover whatever game he's got. I think he's covering the Eagles game right. in Washington. He said the players have like a 55-page protocol, mm-hmm. and he said he's been in hotels since the pandemic. He says you don't know what to do half the time. You don't know what you can touch. You don't know what you can, you know. what. And he just made it really interesting that I would be really careful for a while of playing road teams. I would too. Um, just because I don't know. I have no idea. You know, maybe there'll be no effect. You know, but but 
I, I just don't know. And I think being at home, even though you might not have fans in the, in the, I think it's going to be a little bit more of an advantage maybe than it used to be. I, but maybe that's wrong. Right. I'm just throwing it out there. No, I, as, and I think that's a, uh, I think that's a valid point. And I, especially in college where so much has been topsy turvy and, yeah. You know, these kids have no routine as of this point. So I, I think what colleges especially is going to be difficult. Yeah, but um, I think in the NFL too, I, I understood the point he was making was that, you know, all of a sudden the Eagles are going to be in a hotel room on Saturday night. And, you know, I'm guessing they're mostly going to stay in their room. I don't know. But, you know, I don't know if there's going to be anxiety. Maybe there won't be. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it's just business as usual. Um but well, it's even, something I hadn't thought about. Well, even you in know, and you've you and I have been in enough of these stadiums. Like if you get in a visitor's locker room, it is claustrophobic at best. And now you're trying to. I'm sure there's going to be there's going to be accommodations where you have to s- spread out a little bit. But I mean, it, it, you know, you're going to be basically dressing in in, in, in the tunnels. I mean, it's, don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, Kevin, you're right. I mean, I. I, I'm sure there's. I'm sure they have a plans in place. Like that, like I'm that, sure. like that locker room at FedEx, which I've been to covering the Eagles, maybe five or six times, um, is among the worst I've ever been in, because you literally feel clammy in there. And well, I, I thought it was interesting last night that you know some of the players had masks on at some points. You know, Russell Wilson. I'm not Russell Wilson. Um, Deshaun Watson. When he went out for the uh, the coin flip, put, he the, had a put mask the mask on. on. Yeah, I thought that was we, interesting too. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I, like I said, we just look. And a month from now, this all could change. We we could be, you know, the pandemic could, could become worse. Nobody knows. So you know, who who know? And I think what Ray said about maybe the Eagles with a chance to start three and zero, you would think that doesn't mean they're going to start three and zero. We saw that last year when they lost to the Lions at home. Um, but you know, getting off the good because you don't yep. know. Maybe it becomes a ten-game season. Yep. Um. But I think the NFL, in my heart of hearts, barring something really catastrophic, and I don't know what that means, is going to play. Yeah. They're go. You know, maybe they'll tell the Cowboys you can't have people in the stands, or, or maybe, uh, I, I, you know, but barring you know some team coming down with multiple, you know, twenty guys out, yeah. or, or five teams coming down with twenty guys out. I just don't know. All right, here we go. Week one, you ready? No, but you know, I'll I'll do my best. All right. Hold on. There we go. We got the music going. As the underneath bumper. And uh Mr. Kern, you wanna go first or you wanna let me go first? Well, I got a lot of things, but, but I don't know how many picks I have, but um one thing I will say is when, whenever you think you're going to outsmart Vegas, since Vegas doesn't get it right all the time, obviously. Last night, the over-under was 54 and a half. Yeah. Okay? I like the unders. Just because I told you I'm going to play probably play a lot of unders yeah. for the first couple of weeks. So the Chiefs are on the one-yard line. Mm-hmm. It's at 51. They run a play. They don't score, and they kick a field goal, and the under covers. Are you kidding me that they got it within a half a point? <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, There's a lot of over-unders this week. Like I said, I told you, Kevin, I would almost just play all of the unders and hope that, like, you know, eight or nine of them hit. So one already did, um, but there's a few over-unders. I'll just throw them out real quick. 
the the um there's like five. The Pittsburgh Giants on Monday night is 46. I don't like the Giants offense at all. And Pittsburgh plays good defense, or they did last year. So I would go under that one, 46. Carolina Raiders are 47 and a half in Matt Rule's first game. I I see Carolina having problems scoring points there, but okay. So I would probably go that one. And there's two or three. Miami, New England's 42. I could see that being an under. Yeah. Um, Seattle's Atlanta is 49. And I know those teams can score. I, I, I understand that. That just seems a little high. And obviously not all five of these are going to hit the under. And the Dallas Rams is 51 and a half. And I know Dallas doesn't play a whole mess of defense sometimes. But those are the five games that I would I, I would most look at the over-under. But like I said, just play them all and hope that more cover than not. Because I think at least in the early – oh, there's one other one. San Francisco at home against the Cards is 48. And the Niners play defense. Yeah. So I what do I I'm just saying I, I would take close looks at the unders in, in a lot of games, but you know, what do I know? So go ahead, you give me some. All right. I'm staying away from over unders because I think that a lot of this is unpredictable because of of I'm just, just throw, I, I would too, Kevin, but I'm just throwing it out there as, as an observation. I understand. All right. First one up. I'll take the Seahawks. I'll lay the two and a half as a road favorite. At Atlanta, I think this is a huge year for Russell Wilson. I think DK Metcalf has a it has a potential to be a number one receiver in this league, a top receiver in this league. I think the Seattle offense, at least on paper, looks a lot better than it did last year. I think the Seahawks are really good, folks. And I think they go to Atlanta, who, you know, let's be honest, Dan Quinn doesn't have a job if they don't win like six out of seven coming down the stretch last year. I, I I don't trust the Falcons. I'll take the Seahawks. I'll lay the two and a half. So, and I, I, other than my road fears, I would take that. I would take Seattle side because it looks, it almost looks like a gimme. Not a gimme. I mean, it's not, but it, yeah, Seattle is the better team. But again, they're getting on a plane. Right. They're flying pretty far. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, if I, if you, Put a gun to my head and said, play a side in that game. I would take Seattle. Mike, there are like um, six road favorites this week. What's that? There are six road favorites. I'm, I'm counting it off. And I don't think I would, like I said, for reason, I just don't know what going on the road means. Maybe it means nothing. You know, maybe usually it, it, it the, the road teams struggle, especially when they go west to east. Um, but anyway. Um, I'll start you off with correction. Correction, by the way, there are eight road favorites. I forgot the two Monday night games. Okay, yeah. Uh, What's the other Monday night game besides the Pitt Giants? Titans and Broncos. What was that one again? Titans and Broncos. Okay, I missed that one. Why I didn't see that one, I don't know. Okay, Titans and Broncos, did you say? Titans and Broncos. Titans are favored by two. At Denver? At Denver. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll give you a teaser. I'm going to give you the Buffaloes at home just to beat the Jets. They they would lay a half a point. Mm-hmm. So I guess if it ended in a tie, you would lose. And the same thing with the 49ers at home against the Cards. 
even though I think the Niners may not be the Niners of last year because of everything we talked about, but I'll take a shot that both those home faves can win the game. Okay. That means one of them probably won't. Won't. Yeah. Uh, Second game. I'm going with a road team again. I like the Packers going to Minnesota to get in two and a half. You know, Aaron Rodgers has been disrespected. You know, the Jordan... Don't give me the disrespect. The the Jordan love thing, and everybody's talking about how the Packers are going to take a massive step back, and he can't can't get along with his coach. You sound like Marcus Smart. Disrespect it. Disrespect it. Aaron Rodgers comes out at least in week one. And I think that the Packers are the better team than the Vikings anyway. I think the Vikings are so overrated. They don't well, have Stephon. They don't have Stephon Diggs. The Vikings were going to be. I was thinking about taking the Vikings. So okay, yeah, I, and I, and you could be totally right. I, I, and and the line is a little. Look, that's probably a game that could go either way. I just think, and I agree with what you're saying about. I just don't know how that disrespect crap actually plays itself out once you're on the football field playing. I don't know. I still think they have not put nearly enough weapons. Oh, around. no, that's a given. And, and I think well, it's... So that, so but that, and, that's what the, and that's what the capper is on Green Bay's upside for the whole right. season. Right. But, but at I, some point, then, it's not about Aaron Rodgers. Like, we can sit here. I still think Aaron Rodgers is a really good quarterback. He's not what he maybe was three or four years ago, and he hasn't been. I just think that their team is not... That good. And they did win 13 games a year ago. So, you know, that's, there's a lot to be said for winning 13 games and getting to the conference final before you get blown out. But I would take Minnesota in this game. I, I would. But, okay. you know, again, um, I, I'm, I think I would stay in that division. Well, I, I'm going to get one I'm, I was going to get. I think I like the Lions laying three to the Bears. Um, I'm just not sold on Chicago. And I know the Lions aren't much, and they're not supposed I think Stafford's going to have a big game. Um, and, again, I'm not in love with this at all, but but they're home. They're, you know, they're laying three. I'll take a shot. I think one thing this year that we're all going to look at is how what is the point, point spread on a Jaguars game? Because the Jaguars are going to be awful. Yes, they are. And we just heard Ray talk about the Colts. If T.Y. Hilton and Phil Rivers develop something, look out. Because that yep. they have a lot of different weapons in that offense. Marlon Mack is a running back. Uh, they can, and Frank Wright knows how to handle it. The line yeah. is seven and a half. Now, on the road, that's a little tricky on week one when you haven't had a preseason. But I just, I'm buying that the Jaguars are just so awful. Plus, I think that Colt well, defense can pick up or pick off Minshew the a couple times. Jags are going to win a few games. I mean, that's just you know they'll 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 win some games, not many, but uh, that might be a game you could look to tease too, Kevin. Uh, yeah, like tease them you, down. You know my golden rule on teasers. What's that? You know my golden rule on teasers. Yeah. You're breaking teasers up a little so- bit. You gotta yeah, do some your thing there. Yeah, I know. No, you're. But I'm saying if you're into teasers, that could be a game because I don't think the Colts will lose. Um, but you know, well, I, I just think that the I think that the teasers are sucker bets traditionally. They are. Oh, they're absolutely sucker bets. <laughs> and finally, uh, I have one more game. But go ahead. Do you have another one? Well, the one I was looking at, 
and again, I'm a little afraid because of that traveling across the country thing and all. Is the Raiders giving three to Carolina? I love Matt Rule. Not only is he a new coach, he's a new NFL coach. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're very good. If you take Christian McCaffrey out of the equation, I don't think they're very good at all. And I'm not sure how good the Raiders are, but Gruden's been there. He knows it's time to start winning. Carr can be a decent quarterback at times. Mm-hmm. I just think the Raiders are going to win the game. And I don't think laying a field goal is a lot. Now, maybe, look, maybe Carolina will be all jacked up because it's Matt's first game. Like, maybe the Red, the Washington football team will be all jacked up because it's uh, their coach's first game. But I, I would I – would, I, I think I would look at the Raiders there. That's not a bad pick. I, I'm going to go – I'm going to follow your road rule, though. Okay? Okay. I'm going to take the Broncos at home. So they're they're two point underdogs. I'll grab the two. It's not really important. I think the Broncos are pretty good. You have Phil Lindsay. You, you have Drew Locke at quarterback. I, I, their defense obviously is going to hurt without Von Miller, uh, who went out this week with an ankle injury. But their defense is still pretty good. Um, I, you know, I I think that Tennessee Tennessee's one of those teams that. I think down the road will be okay, but I think they're gonna they're gonna struggle at the start here. It just there's all you know we talk about hangovers with the Super Bowl. You know Tennessee kind of got on a magic carpet ride last year, but I think to get to the AFC title game, I think people are overinflating how good they are a little bit. Uh, so I'll take the Broncos national stage, the last that that final Monday night game of the double header thing always those teams at home tend to do really well uh a lot of things working against the titans this week i think i'll take the bronc i'll take the broncos i'll grab the two with it so and remember this though the big thing about playing on the big stage yeah is your crowd okay there will be no crowd there will be no crowd so, the so only playing two- in denver is usually a a tough proposition well you still have the altitude oh no no I, kevin i i'm not disagreeing with your pick i'm just saying is when you're saying the national stage and all that, yeah, I, I agree with you. But there isn't going to be 70,000 people or whatever the hell that stadium holds in there going nuts. In case you were uh, wondering. That's the thing. We don't know how this is going to affect any team. Um, y- you know, uh, going forward, there are some teams that have really great home field advantages, like Seattle. Um, I'm sure there's many others we could come up with, and especially dome teams. The Saints are usually pretty good down in New Orleans. It's going to be different, um, you know, and you're going to have to see how that, you know, factors in. One of the things I'm, I'm talking with the Eagles, the Eagles don't have a great home field advantage. No. I don't think, if you look at the record uh, for how much we view ourselves as Philly nutty fans and all this, they, they do lose games at home. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, the, so only know. Year, the only year that they really didn't was in 17. Yeah. Um, Seventeen. It was a tremendous. It was a huge advantage for that team. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, uh, like I said. Any, anybody that's playing a lot of money this week, you're nuts. Right. Let, yeah. Let's just put that out front. Although, of course, you may win, and then you'll tell me I'm nuts, which is fine because sometimes I am. But one, this season is just going to be both college and pros. Right. At least till we get to a certain point, and I don't know when that point is. It's just. Obviously, way different, uh, and I think you have to tread a little more carefully. So, my official picks are the Packers, 
the Broncos, and I forgot my first one. Um, oh, the Seahawks. So yeah. I don't my, know what my official picks are. I threw a bunch of stuff out there. Um, and uh, Do you think Notre – how good is Notre Dame? I mean, Notre Dame's supposed to be pretty good, right? Notre Dame's probably the second-best team in the ACC, yeah. Well, that ain't hard to do. I mean, well, you know. Nerd Dame season is going to be judged by one game. How do they do against well, Clemson? Yeah, but they got to get to that game. You, you, if you're Notre they Dame. They should get to that game undefeated. They yeah, should. Well, I've heard that before too, Kevin. And then, you know, you lose at NC State or something. or you know, I think well, Notre Dame has to get to that game undefeated because, the, the, first of all, there's less teams to choose from for the playoffs, I'm, I'm guessing. You know, instead of having – you know, two, you're taking two conferences out of the equation, even though the Pac-12 hasn't gotten, but I think two teams in the playoffs. But if Notre Dame can get to that game unbeaten and Clemson gets their unbeaten and you lose a tight game, you can still get maybe, you, man, maybe you get another shot at them. Yeah, you could. In a, in a title game, which, yeah, I, I just think it would be great for college football if on November the 3rd or 5th, 7th or whatever the date is, the 3rd's the election. So I think the seventh would be it is the game. The seventh. If they were unbeaten and, and Clemson would probably be ranked number one at that point, um, Notre Dame would probably rank it'd be ranked two, three, four, well, somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, that'd and, be great. And Mike, I, I'll throw this out there with with all of it. Um, you know, Notre Dame's schedule before that game would have been leading into Clemson in the original schedule would have had Wisconsin would have had. Right. Would have had uh, uh, Stanford. I mean, you, you take it down a notch with all the ACC sure. teams. Absolutely. You know, look, at Pitt's not going to be easy um, because they always struggle against Pitt. You know, the, and BC, I think, is in there and, and and all that. But look, their season's geared around one game, and if they, yeah. you know, if they get to the Clemson game and they, you know, play well against Clemson, I'm not even sure they have to win, but they have to play well against Clemson. Well, they're going It'll to play again in all likelihood if that's the scenario. In the ACC title game, yeah. You would think. You would I'm not think. saying they would. And the other thing is in college football, you know, we talk about pro football. College football is all about the fans. I mean, it's all about the fans. Yeah. It's it's about you go into, you know, state college and there's 105, 10,000, whatever it is. Um, that isn't going to be there. Um, how that's going to impact you know, if Clemson had to go into Notre Dame in front of a packed house, you know what that's like. I've been yeah. there for the – I was there for the Florida State game in 93. It's, I saw it's enormous. what it was like. It's enormous. Uh, Florida State had no chance that day, and they didn't know it, and they were the best team in the country. Um, So, you know, I, you know, I don't know by the time they play, is there going to be any anybody in the stands at all? You know, it'll be 10,000, 20,000. Well, Notre Dame is going to have, Notre Dame is going to allow, kind of like what the Chiefs did last night. There's going to be some students who are on campus and some faculty, but there's nobody from outside campus that will be allowed on. And no no tailgating. No tailgating, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, I mean, like, let's say, like, when Alabama plays Auburn this year, right? That's, like, nuts. Yeah. You know, that might be the best rivalry in college football, for all I know. It's certainly one of them. How goofy is that going to be? I don't even know if the game's supposed to be at Bama this year. Or I think it's at Bama this year. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we – you know, when I watch college football, the, it's the experience of college. That's what's made college game day such a show is when Temple played Notre Dame that year, 
It was the fans at 10 in the morning that were flocked down there at Independence uh, Square, you know, with Lee Corso and the guys. That's what makes college football. It really does. And that's going to be missing, and at least to a degree it's going to be missing. And there's nothing anyone can do about it. Um, And I don't even know if you get to a playoff situation. You know, where the country's going to be in January or late December – that you're going to allow 30,000 Alabama fans to go to well, a neutral site? I don't think so. And, and and transforming that to the NFL, like this weekend there's only one other team that will have fans in the stands, and that will be the um, the Jaguars will have fans in the stands. Now the Cowboys – How can you tell? Well, yeah. The Cowboys and the, um, the, Cowboys and the Texans have been given the go-ahead to do it in uh, Texas. Um right. You know, to a certain degree, up to 50%, which to me just sounds like an awful idea. Um, but, like, look at a place like New Orleans. Look at the Superdome. I mean. Oh, absolutely. What what, oh. what that Tampa-New Orleans game would be this Sunday, if it oh, had fans in the stands, would be insane. And now it's going to be probably, nothing. That might favor Tampa. Yeah. You know, um, because as much as I like, I mean, you know, Tom Brady might go in there and, hey, you know, he doesn't have to deal with this or that. And I think Seattle, I mean, look look at the teams that have the biggest home field. Seattle has always had a really good home, home field. field. New Orleans. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the others. Um, does Lambeau have well, a New good Engl- home field? New England had a good home field, but that was because New England had the best team. Right. Um, Lambeau? Lambeau is a good home field. Yeah. Lambeau is okay. incredible. Kansas City has a great home field. Okay. Okay. I mean, um, and, and think I, I, and think of it that three teams were moving in the new buildings this year, with all the debt service that comes with being in a new building. Yeah, talking uh, the Vegas, the Chargers, and the Rams, and now those buildings are going to be just empty all season long. It, it's yeah. it's remarkable, but it's, and it's going to change yeah. the way the game, the the feel of these games. But like, I mean, I I hadn't thought about it like this, but. Let's say there's a college football playoff when it's supposed to be. Like, I don't even know right. what the sites it's, are. It's the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Are the semis? Are the semis. Okay. So let's say for sake of argument, you have Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma, and, and Georgia. I'll just throw those four teams out there. So now you're going to go to the Sugar Bowl. Are they going to let people descend upon New Orleans? I don't think so. The last thing you want is 30,000 people from Georgia and 30,000 people from Clemson going to Bourbon Street, let alone the game. Forget about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and to me, that's that's what kind of makes that. You know, I, I mean, I've been there for bowl games, and you see the people the three days before, and are, you know, they're, that's what makes college football, and I understand you can't do that this year. Um, and the game is the game. They're going to go out on the field. They're going to play right. a game. Uh, and but it's just it's it's going to be so, and we'll get used to it. I mean, we will. We'll get we'll get used to it. just like I've gotten used to watching the bubble now for the NHL and the NBA, right. and you almost don't think about it. You watch baseball games, you almost don't think about it. And by the way, the um, national championship game is in Miami. So the what game? National championship game, college football. Is it play. Miami? It's in Miami. Okay, okay, it, okay. Yeah, and 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 by the way, before we go, yeah, don't we have to touch on the Phillies? I was going to bring that up. Yes, you got five minutes. Go. No, you start. <laughs> they stink. Their bullpen stinks. Their bullpen's awful. 
Bring a workman. But, but they fixed it. Did they fix it? No, um, they tried. They tried. They tried. They tried a little bit. It's strange. It's almost like you say they tried, and, and then you realize, well, they traded prospects, and they don't really have good prospects in their farm system, but they still traded people who are supposed to be, you know, may, could they have done worse bringing the prospects up? I mean, seriously. Everything you said about the Eagles in the in the other segment about them being cap, salary cap up against it because of their draft, and we've talked about this before. The Phillies are in the same exact yep, exactly. And actually, the Sixers are, and the Sixers are too. There's one team in this um, town that knows how to draft, and that's the Flyers. That's it. Well, yeah, but but let's be let's be honest though. They did stink for eight years. I mean, exactly. Th- yes, they made the most. They made the most of stinking. Uh, that, that's fine. I'll give them that. And the Sixers did go. You know, they've won 50 games. So, I mean, they just didn't do this year what we wanted them to do. Um, they also yeah, the wasted Phillies, a lot look, of top draft picks too. I still too, think so. the Phillies are going to make the playoffs. Regardless of what happens in these six games in Miami, you know what, Mike? Uh, I'm almost at a point. So what? If they make the playoffs, well, so what? If well, they, you know, Kevin, if they were in there, we'd still be excited to a degree because of their lineup and because you got. We even though Wheeler's going to miss a start now or got to push back, um, because they got Nolan Wheeler. But the problem is in the back of your mind. And look, the bullpen's going to have nights where they pitch okay. They you can't pitch horrible every night. But in the back of your mind, they'll be up 6-3 in some game, and you'll be thinking, oh, my God. And the players must be thinking that. They're not stupid. You know, Bryce Harper's out there in right field, or Joe Girardi's in the dugout saying, okay, we got to go to bullpen. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, it's a hard way to play, especially in an era, and we've seen in the playoffs lately, teams depend on the bullpen so much. You know, get me to the fifth or sixth inning. That's basically the mantra. You know, get me – and that's how Joe Girardi coached a lot when he was with the Yankees because he had, you know, 42 sitting there at the back end of his bullpen. I mean – He don't He don't have 42. You don't have 42. And I, I feel bad for him because, you know, you, you don't – you don't really like – I don't even know how to phrase this. I can't blame Girardi. This isn't like mismanagement. This no. is no man. No. He has no shot. Him I and mean, Brian Price look, have no shot like, with these guys. Like you said, though. I mean, he, look, he's not above being wrong. Like you said, maybe Workman shouldn't be the closer. Maybe Norris should. But he had seen Norris a couple times. I think he's given Workman a shot. And so far, Workman hasn't really, you know, given you any re- But, I mean, and then what's going to happen, in the, it's going to be interesting in the offseason. How do you fix this? Like, are you going to go out and get a David Robertson again and give somebody lots of money? Because that didn't work. Right. Um, I, I, you I have to develop you your bullpen. bullpen. You have to develop bullpen arms. Yeah, you well, have to develop them, and they did. don't develop them. Yeah. I, I mean, I, honestly, the, the best person, the person in their bullpen I feel the most confidence in right now would be a JoJo Romero coming in. And yeah, I, I that's scary because he had a bad outing yeah. recently. Um. But yeah, JoJo Romero I, looks like he has big league stuff. I mean, yeah. you, you can have a bad outing. He just looks like he, he I don't know. And isn't it great that we got the new pitching coach who apparently is an upgrade? I mean, I'm he not is. saying he's not. But even he can't fix this. Well, I mean, it also, you know, it also without a full camp, without a full season where you're going to oh, have sure, a bump in a road. Right. Yeah. I mean, everything's going to get magnified. But, you know, Barkin, I mentioned this the. To which we call it last night or to Ray, like it was interesting hearing 
bar can't say the word sucks. You know? Well, think about this, Kevin. What do they got left? Like 22 games? Something like that. Okay, and then if you're a little in the playoffs, over two maybe weeks. some more games. A little over two How weeks How many left. of those games are they going to lose a lead late? Five? Six? I don't know. I'm just throwing out numbers. You can't play baseball like that. Because no. the worst way to lose in baseball mm-hmm. is to lose like that. Yeah. That's deflating. It, it is. really is deflating. But... You know, obviously, the rest of this weekend will tell the story. You know, and and it's you know now not having Wheeler guaranteed the pitch in this series because of what happened with his finger uh, right. and his zipper. Um, yeah, but that's why last night would have been important. You know, you oh, get yeah. that win, tone you setter, know, then, absolute you know. tone setter, especially for a team that gave up twenty nine the night before. Sorry. See, I was scared about that though. Because oh, I know. Time you give up twenty nine, chances are you aren't going to give up nineteen the next night. Well. The, the, the strange part is they still scored nine that night against the Braves. So Yes, they did. Yeah, who who do we got going? Um, is So Nola, Nola's game okay. one today. Arietta Bullpen game, game two. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so if Nola, Nola better pitch like seven innings. Yep. In, oh, yep. man. Mm-hmm. Man, now see now you're just you you're just kind of mm-hmm. messing with me. No, I'm. Uh, facts are messing with you. Reality is messing with you, Michael. Is, is Howard is Howard going to get a start this series? Yeah, he's pitching tomorrow. Okay. Then I they have a double. Then they have a double. Then they have the doubleheader on Sunday. So are they going to have another bullpen game in the in on Sunday? Uh, <sighs> you can't have two of them in three days. Well, sure you can if you have seven games. I mean, you may end up having to have it anyway. Might be Velasquez. Yeah, what I'm saying is, well, Eflin. You would think Eflin pitches one of them, and you would think Velasquez pitches in one of them as well. But, but what I'm saying is, your bullpen is probably going to get used anyway. Oh yeah, in a Velasquez game or maybe an Eflin game. I'm not that I'm saying they're going to stink. This I'm is just why is, this is why having the schedule seven games like this is so ridiculous. And well, that's a pandemic, man. That's that's what I'm. I'm sure the Cardinals are probably playing some massive. Oh well, yeah, amount of games I get too. it. But you also could maybe back up the end of the season, and no. they're not going to do that. No, they're, they're not. not. Going, they're not going to do that. They 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 they've chosen their path. Mm-hmm. The path is set. The only thing I think they have to decide is if they're going to have a bubble. At some point in the in the postseason, yeah, and I think that's going to happen. All right, Final, uh, finally, before we conclude this epic, um, Eagles are laying six and a half on Sunday. Who you like? No, it's down. To, it was down to five and a half on Parks. Okay, uh, let me look it up. Last I saw, it was yeah. six and a half. So, I'll go with your six. I, I'm telling you right now, I, there, there's not. I just think it is five and a half. Eight. It is five and a half. Caesars is lowered at the five and a half. I would lean towards Washington only because I think it could be a low scoring game. I don't think they're going to lose, but Washington did play them pretty good both games last year, mm-hmm. early and late. Wentz had to win the one game late. Um, I, I just, I, you know, the over under is 42 and a half, by the way. Yeah, I, 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 man, that's a good number. Um, I just could see like a, uh, I hate throwing out scores because that that's always stupid. Like a, like a twenty seventeen kind of game, um, you know. 
But again, I mean, the Eagles are the better team. I mean, look, even with their – but, you know, what happens in the first quarter if uh, one of their linemen go down? Like Ray said, you know, we don't know this. Um, yeah, I would look for Ertz to have a big game um, because he usually does. Uh, I, you know, I mean, Haskins actually played pretty well against them. Last year, he didn't play horrible. Uh, they don't have Peterson anymore. I don't know how the hell Washington's going to run the ball. Remember um, last year, Washington came here opening day, and it was 32-27. Remember, they jumped out to like a 21 nothing lead. 17-0. It was 17-0. 17 17-0. And Redskins scored. Or Redskins. Well, they were the Redskins. Yeah. Scored late to cover. Yeah. The and, Eagles had gone ahead 32-21, to, to, to 21, I believe. Yeah, and then they scored. Yeah, or thirty-two, whatever it was. I'm getting my. I'll probably get my score. No, it was twenty-one scored. because they scored, and then I think they no, missed the two points. Thirty-two twenty, and the Redskins because they had seventeen. They got a field goal to twenty, so they got to twenty-seven. Okay, and that, and that, but they scored late, like with with almost no time left. Uh, and then last, yeah, I, second game was thirty-seven twenty-seven. That only was the Eagles covering the spread because I think they had a late touchdown. Like you know, I think it's going to be an ugly game, like a lot of games are. The, red, the best thing the Redskins probably have is their defensive line. Mm-hmm. And I think they're, if, if I'm them, knowing Ron Rivera, he's going to say the only way we have a chance here is to, like, you know, really get, go them. after Wentz. Yep. Uh, where they can or not, I don't know. We've seen Kerrigan hurt them before, and now they got the, the kid they took Chase second on. in the draft who's supposed to be pretty good. Chase on, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's uh, – but I think, like, like Ray said – the Eagles have a real shot to go three and zero here, Kevin. Especially with those three games you they have coming up after that that you talked about. Yeah, the Rams. So they, they can't afford. Look, they every team always loses one game, or where you say, "How did they lose that game?" You know, and but they really they, they can't afford to lose it. You almost think like the Redskins are due to beat them. Redskins, I'm sorry, Washington is due to beat them. I hate talking like that, but they've kind of owned this team recently. Um, I think the Eagles, uh, I think the Eagles win the game. I think they score a late touchdown. Maybe they even cover. Um, maybe they do. Yeah, I mean, but this is going to be a this is going to be a tooth pull. I mean, this is going to be like tooth pull without anesthesia. It, it could be good. like a twenty-seven yeah. thirteen game. Maybe you know, yeah, you know why not? I mean, um, so the that, one thing I don't want to see them do is give up like twenty-eight to this team because that's not a good sign. No, it isn't. Nope. So, all right, Michael, we will talk. Um, I think we're Monday next week because I, well, I, to- I got to pass this on to you. Okay. I'm, I'm actually in, a, in Andy Talley's charity golf event on Monday, and I got something going on Tuesday. So, we may have to figure out a way to do it Monday night. Uh, uh, yeah, but I don't know what time I'm going to get back. I don't want to screw you up, but we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure we'll, it out. We'll, yeah, because we'll, I mean, we'll do it Sunday night. How about that? You know what? Let's do it Sunday night. Let's do it as a post-game show on Sunday night. Can I yell at the players coming off the, Absolutely. Coming off the field? Absolutely. I want to see if Barkane says any of the Eagles suck if they lose this week. Like hey, you did last Eagles night with win, the bullpen. Is, is Barrett going to do a, a, a victory dance around the set? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we don't get the Gov anymore, huh? I, I don't know. It's he a big mystery. He didn't mention the Gov. No. I'm thinking the Gov might be might be done. Yep. All right. Thank you, Michael. We I'll will talk to you. we will talk to you on Sunday. <laughs>
or Monday or some point next week. Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll be back next Friday, definitely. This has been Work of the Beat.